0: On part two of this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Shirley, and Shirley was in a toxic relationship with a charismatic con man. It's a story of facades, fear, disguising infidelity, terrorism, and shame. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me, again, we have Laverne and Shirley. How are you?
1: So good. So good. Thanks for having us. Good to be here.
0: Well, everyone, this is part two of the story of Laverne and Shirley and Shirley is going to tell her story here today and Shirley's story is interesting because she gets a different version of the same person for a while at least and for a lot of people out there this is one of those situations where you always wonder if my Ex is getting or the person who's now dating my ex is now getting the person I, I always wanted. And we get to hear that today and we get to hear Laverne and Shirley discuss it a little and how it makes them feel when they when they're listening to each other. So this is a really interesting episode, uh, and this is just uh, really from Laver- for Laverne and Shirley. I-, I can't thank them enough for uh, being on the show and sharing their story and putting it all out there uh, for everyone to hear and to learn from and to feel validated from. So uh, now, without further ado, Shirley, the floor is now yours.
1: Thanks,
2: Brandon. I want to open as Laverne did with just a um, little moment of gratitude for you and what you're doing. Um, it takes a lot of courage for people to stand up and tell their stories. Um, I am very nervous at the moment. Um, but here we go. Um, So as you all have heard, if you listen to Laverne's story, um, I started dating our ex um, about six months after he moved out of their home, um, which was about seven years ago, just to give everyone a little frame of reference for time. Um, But going back to um, kind of the early part of my story Um, I grew up in (laughs) the only child. My parents divorced when I was 10 or 11 months old. Um, My dad, whom I do have a very good relationship with now, I think may not be surprised to hear me say that he was a little self-absorbed when I was young. Um, Didn't spend a whole lot of time with me and I felt pretty starved for his attention much of my childhood. Um, And then I decided I was gonna prove to the world that I could take care of myself really well. So I went to school, then I went to med school, then I went to residency, became a physician. Um, During that time, uh, actually prior to med school, I met uh, who would become my first husband or my only husband actually. Um, And that was an interesting marriage. Um, We uh, were in what some now might refer to as a cult while we were dating. Um, (laughs) It was a group therapy program led by a very guru-ish leader who um, the first year I went to med school, Uh, Told both of us that we should get married because it would help us both kind of unpack our early childhood trauma. Um, So my ex never actually asked me to marry him nor I him, but we decided that this is probably what we should do because this man told us it would be a good idea.
0: So you said the words childhood trauma. So let's back up the truck a little and i guess what were you like as a kid look at the look on your face right there um what was your life as a child like what were you like um and what were your beliefs in life what were your belief systems did you always want to be a doctor when you grew up uh, things along those lines, and what were your beliefs in in relationships? Did did you have a Disneyfication of love? Uh, tell us everything.
2: Yeah, great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, I want to go back and say that I I did not have a traumatic childhood. Um, I I think I had a bit of a dysfunctional childhood, but um, I had a mom that loved me and wanted to provide all the things. Um, and I know my dad loved me as well. He just was in goo goo gaga la la land chasing all the women, which I don't think he would mind me saying on a podcast because it was true. Um, and I, I think what, you know, after decades of therapy and a lot of re- retrospection, um, I think being a daughter of a man who really objectified women a lot, um, impacted me in ways that I don't think he ever would have known or intended. Um, But I felt very small. I felt very insignificant. I felt unnoticed. Um, And I think I've carried that with me up until about two years ago, quite honestly. Um, Did I always want to be a doctor? No. No. Um, I got through high school, um, couldn't wait to get away and go to college, went to college, actually had a great experience, had great friends, um, really healthy social life. I had one not so great boyfriend. I had a really amazing boyfriend um, and um, took a couple years off after college, um, decided I would apply to med school.
0: So you were confident in your abilities, but maybe not confident in yourself in other ways?
2: 100%. Very well said. I, um, much like Laverne, very stubborn, very ambitious. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, if I put my mind to something, nothing's going gonna, nothing's to gonna stop me. Um, yet how I felt about myself, um, definitely bottom of the swamp everybody around me took precedence. Um, I put myself last. I saw myself as the least, um, which is hard to admit, but it's part of the story that I think is really important.
0: So you're a people pleaser. Yes. (laughs) Like when, when it came to like being a doctor, what was the most attractive thing to you besides helping people?
2: Besides helping people, it was, um, I loved going to school. I love science. I loved learning. Um, I, there was a part of me that I didn't realize at the time. I think that really just felt like I am going to take care of myself. I don't need anybody else to take care of me. I can do this on my own. If this is my career path, I'm not going to
0: need anyone. Um. So when you get into your first marriage, you have this desire to be seen, noticed, etc. Do you feel that that person did see you or do you, what was missing in that relationship before you eventually meet the same ex as Laverne?
2: Um. You know, it's it was such a complicated time because I, I don't think either of us really even liked each other all that much. Yet we were in this group therapy environment with this man who kind of picked us out and decided that the two of us needed to work out all of our shit together. Um, and a year and a half later, that became, you know, if you really... If you really want to work out your stuff, you guys actually need to get married.
0: So is it fair to say that you didn't want to upset the guru?
2: Yes, (laughs) that is fair to say. And I think, you know, it also held true for my ex-husband. He had been sipping the Kool-Aid just as much as I had. Um,
0: So you two get married and uh, how does that eventually dissolve?
2: So we were married for 14 years. We had two children, um, and my ex um, was never physically abusive, but was often very angry at times. Um, scary, scary rage uh, that affected both me and my and my kids. He was not manipulative. He was not. Uh, unfaithful. He was not deviant with money. Um, He was very good at the silent treatment and very good at at punishing me emotionally. Um, But he was not malignant at all. Um, So 14 years after we were married, I finally... I'd been in therapy for a long time and finally decided it was done. Uh, So we got divorced. And five years later, I had dated a few people along the way. Um, My kids were not spending a whole lot of time with their dad and I was carrying a lot of shame around that and taking a lot of that on as... um, you know, my kids had this really broken family life now, and it was just three of us most of the time and um i had a I carried a lot of guilt for that, and so lo and behold, when I meet this gentleman who becomes the lacrosse coach of our boys, Laverne and i we had children that were the same age. And it's the same story as Laverne. I just, I madly fell in love with this person with so much charisma and charm and love and passion and investment in these kids when um, that's all I wanted for my boys was to have kind of this really powerful, positive, fun-loving, silly, goofy, playful, um, present guy around and he he swept me off my feet big time um i had not experienced love bombing before um though interestingly after i had gotten divorced i read bill Eddy's book uh it's all your fault um started gaining some language around these types of personalities um thought i was pretty much an expert actually on the red flags and the warning signs and all of this, <laughs> but, but I forgot to read the next chapter that there's this whole other level of, of human that, you know, you have to keep reading the book to actually understand that there's different kinds of these folks. So the universe essentially had decided that um,
1: I had some bigger lessons I needed to learn. You told me at one point, I didn't know narcissists came in different flavors.
0: Uh, now you find this love bombing where you are feeling seen. So, I guess what were the moments where you maybe you really felt seen to the point where this this guy's my guy.
1: Early
2: on, I really put my foot down. I said, "No, you know, all through lacrosse season, our kids are not going to know that we're dating." Um. And the boys and I were planning to go to Yellowstone in June or July. I can't remember which. And he immediately got on board, bought a trailer, said we're all going to go together. And I remember thinking,
1: ooh, it's just
2: like, this is not how you do it. I've read all the books on parenting and single parenting and blending people, and this is not the timeline that's recommended. Um, but he was so convincing that I, um, I, I went along with it. And, you know, from start to finish of that trip, he proved himself to be the life of the party. So much fun. Not a single red flag. Um, he, it was masterful.
0: And what is he saying about uh, Laverne this whole entire time?
2: He's having a hard time with Laverne because Laverne is, is really um, not being very nice. To him um, and she's trying to keep the kids from him and out of her own spite is the story that i'm is the story that I'm hearing um, I am not the kind of person that enjoys drama or conflict either surprisingly <laughs> and because of that I'm not the kind of person that wants to jump in that mud pit um, I'm, I'm not good at fueling people's angst, um, which is, I think what he was wanting me to do. And it's just not, never been my comfort zone. Um, so I did hear about it, but I think over time he learned that he needed to tone it down because it was going to become an issue for me.
0: So did you, is it fair to say that you didn't fall for the victim playing version of him?
2: That's actually a good question. Um, I didn't doubt him at all, um, but I wonder now if I really truly believe that he was the victim of all of this, you'd think I might have <laughs> been a little more supportive, um, which I don't think I was. I mean, I, I, I think I was supportive in the sense of, well, oh, that sounds really difficult. Um,
1: but yeah, no, that's a good question. I'm not sure.
0: And knowing what happened with L- Laverne when Laverne had children and he stopped becoming the priority for you and your kids and and this person, did that become an issue and was that an issue off of the bat? Or is that something that maybe happened later as far as when am I a mom and when am I a uh, spouse?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, As I mentioned, he was really masterful early on. Um, He never, ever tried to get between my kids and I. Um, It was constant attempts at bringing everyone together and doing all these like very, I don't know, sound of music type. It felt like events whether we were going to the park or like walking in the woods it all felt very um i don't know like a musical almost <laughs> but it also felt so good because i was you know i had another adult around and my kids seemed happy and you know two of the boys were best buddies and um there was a lot of there was a lot of joy early on um fast forward to the end of the story and and yes i i expressed constantly feeling like i was being pulled um my kids were over here and he was over here and yeah
0: so you're you're getting the version of him that laverne always wanted i would yeah, say yeah i don't
1: think she ever got yeah it's true. It's, it, it's, it's hard true. to hear you. Yeah. It's hard to hear you say that. It's yeah. hard to hear you say how great he was with them. Of course, that's what I wanted. And I wanted that for my kids too. And that was, I was, I was happy for them. Mm-hmm. For them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cause it sounds like you're getting like a, a completely different type of human being than he was in the previous relationship at all. And I'm sure there's many people out there who are listening, who are always wondering, like he's acting like the person that I always wanted him to be, or at least that how it looks, but eventually that'll go off the rails. It can last for a little bit of time, but it's something that they can't keep up. So for all of you people out there who are listening to this, who are hurting, knowing that the other person might be getting that version. It might be, it's fleeting Mm -hmm. would be the best word. I guess that's the best way to put it. And also
2: to keep in mind that these individuals have the capacity to shape shift in this way. And, you know, one thing I'd love to talk about more at the end is that this version of him that I saw for the first year is who many of the people in his friend group see a hundred percent of the time. And, and so what happens in the fallout of these relationships when all of a sudden I am now faced with a monster who I didn't know existed and I try to tell my story and, and, and it just makes absolutely no sense to the people that are up here on the superficial level with this person, because there's no way those two things can be the same. Um, And so how can this person that I was with for the first year be the same person that Laverne was with for 20 years when we're not even talking about the same person? He's just in the same body.
0: So after the initial, I guess, love bombing stage happens, uh, do you move in pretty quickly? How do things um, progress from there?
2: Um, I owned a house. Um, I was fairly fairly um, comfortable financially, able to support my kids. Um, And he had no money. He owed money to the IRS. He owed a lot of money to the IRS, actually. Um, And the first five or six months, I started noticing my, I've always been very keenly aware when I'm sensing people aren't telling me the truth, which is, I'm kind of realizing now i have a lot of gratitude for that because it's the superpower i didn't know i had and i started picking up on some shady behavior that was going on um uh one day he had borrowed my car for a couple of days and it came back to me and it had a pair of extra small lace victoria's secret underwear in the back um and he had i was very upset really um, very suspicious. <laughs> it seemed like the writing was on the wall. Um, he adamantly uh, denied it. Tried to convince me that maybe one of our boys had been um, promiscuous, yet that didn't really make sense because he'd had my car. Um, and eventually I believed him, and it you know, that was when it started. He started cycling in my, my childhood with my dad, who loved women. God bless him. Um, but he figured out how to make me believe that my strong reaction to this untruth was based on um, kind of the way that I had grown up. It, it's normal for me to not trust people, um, is what he would say. Um And even at one point, my dad and he had a conversation, and my dad actually said to him, there's a reason why she doesn't trust men, because I was her dad. I'm like, perfect. Just show you that softball. (laughs) Go for it. Seriously. Um, And then other things happened. He told me he'd voted in the presidential election, and I was sure he didn't. And I sort of became the queen of the detective mode. And I was like, oh, mm, I'm going to get online and check out to see if he's even registered to vote, which I did, and it turns out he wasn't. Um, and I called him on it. And that that's the first time something blew up in my face. He got really upset said he didn't want to be with somebody who was fact checking. Um, and I felt so bad that I had gone behind his back and done some research that, I then decided I was going to do some research on ADD, which is what he stated was one of his, what was his diagnosis. And um, what I discovered is that children with ADD do tend to lie a lot. They tend to just be white lies because it's a coping strategy for all, you know, they repeatedly forget things or they're missing assignments and so They're constantly trying to cover their tracks, so they learn this pattern of white lies, which then transfers into adulthood. So I was like, oh, great, okay, we don't have to worry about it, because these little lies are not going to turn into big lies, because it's just part of his ADD diagnosis. Uh, About a year into our relationship, he asked me to marry him, um, which I remember sitting there and... um, He purchased a ring from a um, secondhand store, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Oh gosh, okay, I probably should, but we can talk about this more later." So I'll just say yes, but then I'm probably not going to want to (laughs) do it. And shortly thereafter, he he really was adamant that we needed to move in together. Uh, We didn't. uh, He still was very impoverished, um, I would say, and I didn't want to sell my house. There, there was something in my body that was very attached to my property. And, um, I still pat myself on the back for making that decision to refuse to leave because he had found us the most grand home where all of our kids could start fresh, um, it would be a new blended family. It would be neutral ground, unlike my house. Um, it was a very expensive house, which all of the equity from my home would then be rolled over into that. Um, and in hindsight, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, he wanted me to marry him. He wanted me to roll all the equity from my home into this, what would become common property. That's something to ponder. Um, it gives me pause. Um, he eventually moved in, and things were were pretty okay for a while. Um, about three years in, he started getting itchy, and things still were, I was still uh, feeling really on edge a lot of the time. Um, felt like things weren't super clear all the time. There were some shady feelings that I would get here and there. Um,
0: are you being devalued in any sort of way at all at this point?
1: No, not at all.
0: So, because I'm just thinking of like the difference between the person that Laverne was married to and, and the person that you're cohabitating with. Yeah. And your, your red flags or your spidey senses really tingling when it's revolving around money and common, um, I guess, uh, shared assets. Um, and he's not devaluing you in any sort of way. And you're getting, it seems maybe a con man possibly, in that sense of what he wants specifically from you and what he wanted from Laverne. You're getting two different people in that sense of maybe what is, what is wanted. And the con man in that pathology would be more of, I'm going to treat you pretty good. Everything bad about me is all behind the scenes. I don't want you to see what's going on behind the scenes and I'm going to treat you really well. So you don't even start to look behind the scenes. The only thing way you're going to look is if I slip up, which he's very good at doing, um, or at least, you know, underwear things along those lines. So it's interesting to me. Yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, Laverne, you had your finger up there.
1: Well, con man is, is such the word. And we actually spoke recently, and uh Shirley told me, "Well, you know, I was told that you got he he had really uh really, really wanted uh an open relationship, and that you all had gone to counseling and and that you know that was something that I just adamantly refused, but that we had done so much counseling around this together and and probably I was a lesbian." And I think that speaks to the con man. I think it speaks to the setup for what he was driving at, not only the financial aspect of what Shirley has to offer, but also what his hopes are for uh sexually, honestly.
0: So um your ex wanted to be in an open relationship. So I guess take us through uh, that and most likely what would the reasons would be?
2: So um, we had gone to Burning Man together, not the time shortly after he moved out of Laverne's home, but a few years later and really had a great time. Um, and there's there, you know, open relationships and Burning Man are sort of very comfortable thing to talk about if you're in that scene. Um, that's never been a desire of mine. Um, I'm a very monogamous person and self-describe myself as that all throughout our relationship. Um, but he really started pushing hard. Um, and... I really wanted to go along with it, and I did all the research and read all the books and listened to at least 10,000 podcasts on non-monogamy, polyamory, all the whole jazz, and I could not for the life of me wrap my head around it. I tried. I really did, um, because I just wanted to make him happy. He then decided that uh, perhaps his calling was to go down the path of becoming a tantra practitioner.
1: Do you want me to talk about this? Yes. Okay.
2: It's just, it's so much. It's so much. I know. But speak on. Um, and I wanted to support him. And so he had found a, a school where it's like a three-level program where you go and you kind of learn the basics. And at the end of level three, you're a certified Tantra practitioner. Um, and I, I have nothing bad to say about Tantra. I think Tantra can be a really beautiful, important practice that helps. So much with communication, being coming heart centered, um, healing, you know, tension between men and women, all of that. I think there's some really beautiful uh, parts. Um, he decided he wanted to go away to this course, and I over and over asked him to, you know, sure, I'd love to support you. Can you tell me what this is about? Um, And he was very vague. Didn't really want to talk about it a lot. he said, you know, I think there'll be some probably touching and um, I'm not really sure what else, uh, but there might be some genital touching. So I was like, gosh, okay, this is very hard for me, but I'm wanting to support you. Um, And I, this is important to you. I, you know, I want to be awesome. I don't want to be a jealous partner. I want to be like super hip and modern. (laughs) And opened all this stuff. And so I sent him off and I, I, here I was with the kids. This is when this was starting is that, you know, all of a sudden I have four or five children in my home. I'm working full time. I'm doing all the food, all the shopping, all the vacation planning, all the vacation purchasing. Um, he goes away for nine days to this workshop. And my only re- request was that he get in touch with me every day. Just just pop me a line. Let me know how things are going. Um, I don't hear from him for a couple days. Finally, I do get in touch. Apparently, the service is poor, and I said, well, maybe you could shoot me an email and let me know how things are going. Um, And I'm sitting there at work on a Wednesday, and my job is pretty stressful, and I get an email from him. And it's a two-page email that just sets the scene of this beautiful place, and this beautiful woman, and this beautiful connection, and the heart connection, and the chakras, and the sky dancing, and he goes into, you know, two to three page detail of this sexual encounter, very vivid, very, um, descriptive, um, while I'm working, and I fell apart, um, and for the next few days, I just was like committed to stay on task um <clears throat> tried to have an email discussion with him about how this was feeling for me. He came home i was i was uh the depths of despair, the dark night of the soul, however we describe that feeling where you you're just dark there's just so much darkness and pain and grief um And even then, uh, he figured out a way to turn it back on me in a very sweet, loving way that I had given him my yes and that he had just done everything I'd asked him to do. Um, And so really my grief and my pain and my suffering is on me because I'd given him permission. Um, And interestingly, that's when I started going to yoga. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, uh, until tonight that yoga was such an important part of Laverne's story. Um, started going to yoga, did a teacher training, um, had the conversation with him at that point that, uh, we were going to be monogamous or he needed to move out. Um, so he chose monogamy and then for the next four months, it was, you know, he wouldn't didn't want to have sex. He said, I'd killed the ape inside of him. Um, that there was this feeling deep inside that he'd he, been not killed but tranquilized and he just needed to figure out how to resuscitate it. Um,
0: so when, so when he's blaming you here for the loss of his manhood in mm-hmm. a way, um, are you feeling guilty about it or are you like, Oh, you're, oh horrible. you're Okay. So like his gaslighting worked on, even though that you are monogamous at this point, the gaslighting still did work. You're, you're quite, you're still questioning things of what, what's reality, uh, what's a lie, what's not a lie. And, and, and you're twisted around. You, you're twisted around.
2: Very twisted around. And I, had a common friend who lived down in Seattle and during this time probably on three or four occasions he would just break down almost in tears and and tell me just how much he wanted to have sex with this woman because he could just tell that she had so much healing that she needed to work through and he felt like he would be able to help her do that and I was I became numb I just and I I look back on <laughs> How I must have looked, just sitting there, looking at him while he's sharing these bits of information with me.
0: Um, the way he frames it, you look at the way he frames it. I'm he. I'm going to cheat, but I'm going to do it for the purpose of healing this other person. Yes. listen to that. That's. Yeah, you know that's just listen to that. That's pretty amazing. It, I, I use the word amazing, but it is like the the framing of everything. And he also sees himself as this healer, and and possibly like a like a godlike figure, possibly. In it may work with you, it may not work with you, but for someone that's going to make sense. You know, depending on how twisted you are within it, that will make sense to someone.
1: And Brandon, adding to the fuckery, a lot of that experience I found out later was narrated to my child. And the seed was planted of we had this agreement. Shirley knew what we had agreed on and now she's mad at me because of this. And that was an entire reframing for any arguments that my kids overheard then. And now she's the one who's going back on her word. And I really think that was the beginning of this uh, desecration really of a beautiful relationship, in my opinion, that, that Shirley had with my children. My child was privy to, he was groomed. And I found out later, provided a book to read on, how to pick up women and that was unique to this one child right it was this unique experience and he uniquely holds this pain of Shirley's betrayal to his dad in this and the depths of this evil and this manipulation it's just it's so awful and it feels so masterful as it is I don't know but it's strategic regardless it's looking ahead and planning for the next move i think he could see the writing on the wall that shirley was about to not be having it anymore and she needed to be the evil one now and i will say my children are all very hurt by the story and the reframing that they heard about not just this but more stuff you'll hear about from shirley and they can't, they can't move past that. We, Laverne, and I have talked quite a bit about, you know, the the mastery. Um, there is
2: no truth that will stand up to somebody who has these kinds of skills. Um, they're it's it, they're too good. The skills are too honed. Um, they're too good at, at shape-shifting, becoming one person, and then behaving in an entirely different way the next hour. Um, it makes no sense to people. It's too much. The cognitive, as we've talked about, the cognitive dissonance, it's it's too hard. Um,
0: so after that incident, what happens from there?
2: Um, so he became become monogamous, per my request. The ape had been tranquilized. Um, and then COVID happened, um, four weeks into lockdown, he came to me and sat me down and said, being a full-time co-parent just really is not working for me, so I'm going to have to move out, but I'd like to continue our relationship, but I need to be able to to have sex with other people and I remember exactly where I was sitting and I was out of work because I do outpatient so I wasn't even sure if we were all going to die if (laughs) I was ever going to have a job again and here's this person sitting in front of me telling me that he needs to move out because I had my kids full-time at the time and we had one of his full-time um The parenting was too hard, it was too much, and he needed to be polyamorous, but he wanted to stay with me, but he needed to live in another house. And that was the moment I was like, oh my good Lord, (laughs) the mask has just fallen and shattered on the floor. And that was actually a really defining moment for me, because I remember looking him straight in the eye and I was like, okay, let me get this straight. This house is now in shambles because it's been halfway torn apart per your request. I don't have a job. You're going to break up our family because parenting is too hard. And yet you want to live somewhere else, but still have sex with me and hopefully some other people too. I'm like, that's not actually not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm sorry. Um... And, you know, we had a few discussions along the way, and I made it very clear. I said um, the most important thing for me here is that your your kids are going to leave and go to a stable home. So we're going to keep this ship afloat as long as we need to because we're adults. And we're going to wait until a place is found where you guys can make a smooth transition because it's springtime. Nobody's in school. It's a pandemic. Um, It, you know, it was super tough. And then I started grieving. Um, Really, really openly grieving in a way I had never probably expressed these kinds of emotions in front of any of these humans. Um, but I, I couldn't hide it. I wasn't going to pretend like everything was fine. Um, and a few days after that, he said, you know, this is actually too hard for me to live here with you right now. So we're just going to move to my office, which had no kitchen, no shower, no bedrooms. And I Fell apart again. I was like, You absolutely cannot do this. There is a house that you own that's going to be coming up available in a month. Please just stay until you can move to what is actually a home. Um, and he refused. He said, You know, I can't stay here. It's too unpleasant. You're too hard to be around. Um, And so over the course of the next week or two, got everybody packed up. I sat down. There are three kids. I know exactly where we were sitting. I sat them down, and I said to them, this is heartbreaking. This isn't working for your dad. I am heartbroken, but I want what's best for him. I love you all so much. I will always love you, and you're always welcome here and I think they heard me. And along their merry way they went to his office with no kitchen and no shower. Um, And much to my surprise, that story got flipped around uh, to me having kicked them out during a pandemic. That's the story his kids were told. That I kicked them out knowing full well the shambles of a home that they were moving into. Um, and the hardship that that was going to be for them. Um, The story gets really, uh, really difficult. Um, So at this point, I still hadn't seen what Laverne had been living with for all those years. Um, He was still being relatively friendly. years into our relationship he wanted to purchase the office that i had mentioned Um, and he had gone from being very very broke to actually doing quite well again Um, wanted to purchase this office but in order to purchase the office he had to also purchase the house next door and he was unable to get a loan for that which is where i came into the picture um i can only buy my office if you buy the house next door to be a rental property great we'll diversify our all the things. So my name was the only name on the loan, uh, down payment. Uh, We go to the office, title office to sign the papers. He's there. Um, And I'm thinking to myself, boy, it really feels strange that he's also putting his name on the title when the loan is mine alone. But he's an expert. So I'm just going to put my faith in the fact that he knows what he's doing. Um, so flash forward after he moves out, he asked me what I want to do with the rental. And I said, well, I I don't want to have anything to do with that with you. Um, he said, great, I'll take care of it. So he goes then without telling me starts the refinance process. And two weeks later sends me a text and says, okay, the paperwork's all ready to sign. And I texted him back and I said, great, how am I going to get my equity back out? And it was about 90 grand. Called me on the phone, and that's when the monster first came on the scene. I'd never met the monster before, and it was terrifying. Um, he very verbally abusive. Um, how unfair of this, for me to go back on my word. I said that it was his, that he could have it. <laughs> I'm like, people just give $90,000 away. That's just not how this works. Um, he had put some money into my house. He paid to have some siding put on. Um, he had put probably 25 grand of his own money into my house. So I was like, hey, let's just, we'll hire a mediator. It's just math, we'll figure it out. We hired a mediator whom he then fired three times before we even got to meet because he said I was getting too lawyerly um, with my detailed accounting. Um, because I am a very detailed person and of course I keep all the receipts. So I was like, it's just math. We can figure it out. It's super easy. It'll be fair. Still not really knowing the person I was dealing with. Um, and then he started threatening me, um, threatening my ability to do my job. Um, he was, he was starting to actually scare the living shit out of me. Um, extortion, 100%. Um, It's actually something I can't really go into live. Um, But it's the piece of Laverne's story that I didn't know either, and that's the the fear. Um, I was terrified for... I was actually terrified for my life. I wasn't sure what he was capable of. I knew he had guns. Um, It was a person I'd never, never met before, and the cruelty... And the diabolical voice mails that he would leave me, um, threatening to, you know, he closed our bank account that the rental house mortgage was paid on. So now I'm not working, and I have two mortgage payments because, <laughs> um, of course, it's my loan. So I have to pay the mortgage. I'm a rule follower. Um, sending me diabolical voicemails about how. He has an easement, and there's no renters there, and he's going to make damn well sure that nobody ever rents that house. Um, and the the list goes on. I was terrified. I I had friends, husbands offer to stay in my garage or stay in my driveway um, for a few weeks. Um, I was terrified. I um I couldn't figure out what was going on with me for a long time but I would drive into town and I'm a very very calm mellow person um and I do <laughs> surprisingly know a lot about mental health but not a lot about my mental health um would drive into downtown and I would have to stop my car because I hyperventilating and my heart rate would go sky high and then was later diagnosed with PTSD, which then it all made sense, but um, it it was intense. It was, and and I think hearing Laverne's story out loud, um, the dichotomy between who she lived with Mm. and who she got afterwards is very different than who I lived with the person that we got afterwards is the same. It's the same. And I hate to use the word monster because I don't ever want to label somebody a monster, but it was monster-like behavior um, and continues to be. Um,
1: Terrorist behavior. Terrorist behavior. Yeah. Um, The the last... The last chapter
2: for me, um, when I... I finally realized that I had been conned. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to marry him. I don't know why, but there was something deep in me that I was like, I'm I'm not going to marry you. And he decided he wanted to make a will and he wanted me to be the trustee on his will. So I had a significant, significant life insurance, retirement um, assets, good collection of things that I've worked hard for. And I decided, you know, I feel so bad that we're, I don't want to marry you, that sure, I'll make you trustee of my will, of my estate. But I knew well enough to meet with the attorney on my own without him there. And I met with the attorney. I made it very clear. I said, you know, I, I want him to be able to... Uh, deal with what's going to happen if I end up on life support. 100% in no way does he have access to the money. That's all my kid. 100%. No access. Zero access. He doesn't even get access to delegate the funds. So I was very clear with the attorney about boundaries around this decision that I had made. And about nine months after he would moved out, I remembered like, oh, my God, he is still in my state. So I found a new attorney, I raced down there, (laughs) I've got all the paperwork, and I'm like, help, (laughs) SOS, we need to get his name off, because I could die tomorrow, and I don't know what's going to happen. We need to get his name off the estate. And I had told my attorney, who's a wonderful guy, uh, a little bit about what had happened, and I said, you know, Boba, don't worry, like, I think I made it very clear that he's only to be in there for you know certain jobs but nothing to do with the money and the next day he called me up and he said you know i have reviewed these documents and if you had died 100 percent access to everything you own would have been his and i i really have no words for the emotion that i was feeling at that time um relief uh profound nausea (laughs)
1: Um, validation Um, that
2: here is this legal professional essentially telling me you were conned. And he also told me, I don't want you to feel alone. This happens
1: all the time.
0: When you found this out, were you sharing this with anyone, uh, besides the lawyer, like to go through your relationship and get to this point and then realize that you're conned. It's not something someone always shares with someone else. It's one of those, I think, you know, as far as like a lot of like a a lot of people who are con not a lot of people but there are a certain amount of people that are con that there's an embarrassment about being con some of them take their own lives because sometimes their money is completely taken from them so for you are you communicating with other people about what happened do you want people to know who this person really is and when do you start to talk to uh, Laverne about what has happened or who reaches out to who first? How does this relationship start or am I getting ahead of myself and there's a little bit more to?
2: No, not at all. Um, I think it was probably three or four weeks after they had moved out that I called Laverne. I texted Laverne and I, I think I was feeling a little apologetic, but I, said something to the effect of, if you would be willing, (laughs) would you mind (laughs) talking to me? Um, I had figured that she had known what had happened through the kids already, um, and she very, very graciously um, agreed. And it was one of the most important phone calls of this chapter of my life,
1: for sure. It was the most important phone call. I have to say, I was relieved that she could see what was going on. And I I actually, my best friend had said, just wait, she's gonna call you one day. She is gonna call you and you guys are gonna have a conversation. And I said, no way, no way she will ever call me. And I have to say I don't even remember, I remember vividly getting the text and seeing it thinking, oh shit, okay, I'm f- okay. And honestly, I I I was just grateful. I felt so much compassion. Um and I know it might sound like I might just be saying this to make myself seem a certain way, but I I you know for anyone to get to hear Someone's story that at all mirrors what they've gone through is so validating. So many folks feel like they are crazy. And you watch the look on someone's face when you tell them your story, and, and that's confirmed. They look at you like you've got two heads, and and it, that's the, that's so distressing. And so to be able to talk to someone who actually knows exactly what you're talking about, knows exactly how that switch to cruelty and betrayal, that tone of voice that threatens without overtly saying, I will destroy you, says, I will destroy you. And and the, the camaraderie of that was immense. And um, yeah, I am eternally grateful that that connection was made and And it's been a slow coming together, a slow sort of cautious, unrevealing. And it's really, I'm so grateful.
0: So, Shirley, when you finally got to talk to Laverne, I guess take us from there. What happened with you and, you you know, Laverne, it, during her process was able to like brush up on Tina Swithin, uh, narcissism, all of those things. You read the one chapter of the Bill uh, Eddie book. So was your mind like, take us through this. Was your mind blown at what you were about to hear or what you heard? And like, just guys take us through the next steps of how this happened. And I guess the blossoming of your yeah. relationship.
2: So I am a researcher. I love researching things that don't make sense to me. And it was a pandemic, and I had absolutely nothing else to do. So I just somehow started watching The Vow. And I, to, back, to back that up, not only, but I have probably four or five other very, very, very dear, dear friends who know my heart and know that I speak the truth, um, and we're incredibly supportive. I'm eternally grateful for them just for believing me and hearing my story. Um, but watching the vow really <laughs> sent me down the rabbit hole of cult research, um, and, you know, over time, I, I would say to Laverne, I'm like, you know, there's got to be some data out there because I was in a cult. Like I was in a one-person cult. <laughs> it's exactly how it felt. Um, and hearing how, you know, Mark Vicente described on your show, when he finally, when the ball finally dropped, that waking up in the upside down and realizing you've been in the upside down this whole time. It was like a, you were right side up for quite some time. But the transition from right side up to upside down was so sneaky and vague that you didn't even realize it was happening until you were upside down and the whole world collapsed. Um, so I I really went deep in cult psychology. I got really fascinated. Um, I i Listened to the book called psychopath three, five times. I used to drive a lot uh, for work five times. I listened to that book because I just could not wrap my head around how that man, <laughs> that author had <laughs> been in my head. Like he had the same story. It was the same exact, everything. Um, sold over a million copies. How can there be more than one of these people in the world? Um So that was a big, that was a big part of um, just getting over that really, really difficult place of how could this have happened to me? Um, That book in particular uh, was, he sheds a really beautiful light on why exactly it happens to people like us. Um, And then (laughs) Laverne and I's friendship, as she mentioned, um, I think we were both, I was feeling some shame, I think, and Laverne was probably feeling some an appropriate amount of caution. Um, when it became clear that I was not going to have access to the kids anymore because of the stories they had told, my heart was broken, um, really, really devastated. Um, I will always love those kids, and my hope is that someday um, we can repair um, I've stopped pushing. <laughs> I used to push a little too much wanting to meet for coffee until I realized that um, that was not in their best interest right now. It's too confusing. Um, but our our story has really unfolded, as Laverne mentioned, into just a, an amazing, um, and we've just been, I think, an amazing support for each other. And as she mentioned during her story, um, it's amazing how much more unfolds in just the preparation of telling one story. Um, And so I think for us in particular, just having each other, I'm so grateful. If this had happened to me in a bubble, um, I'm not, I I mean, I get it. I'm not sure. I I can understand how people don't make it out the other side.
0: So those being Laverne's children, and now you being alienated from them. Um, Laverne stays, I guess, separate in a way as far as influencing their opinion, because that is actually, I would assume, the healthiest thing and gives the ex from both of you the least ammunition possible.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Although I'll say it took me a minute to believe that I, you know, I watched my youngest, particularly with Shirley's youngest. They did baking projects together and I could see the goodness and I could see that we were kindred spirits in the way that we ultimately would put our kids first and I I was not interested in another blown up relationship for my children, for someone that had been stable and loving for them. And in fact, I do remember a portion of one conversation where you said, I told your kids that this is how I don't, I don't, this is not how I do family, meaning I'm not going to do family in the way that you guys don't live here, but we're still together. But then he sleeps with all the people although she wasn't that explicit obviously and i remember saying don't feel like you need to like mince your words my kids are old enough now like you are don't feel like you need to protect them like that actually seems like you're protecting him which of course is so intuitive right when you're in this and i've i kept nudging my kids uh initially because it was important to me that that was maintained, and then uh, it was met with so much resistance, and my kids were really so hurt and again, it's that bearing of that uh that victim story that that I watched them that it was the safest move for them, right If you think about a kid having to decide which which person clearly I cannot align with both the setup has been made that I cannot. Align with both. I. It, this is a war. I have to choose. I will choose my the, this powerful parent who who I need to appease, and that became really apparent. And and I have since sort of attempted to sort of touch on it, and we're still not still not there.
0: And I guess surely... Now that all of this has happened, as far as you and your healing process goes, what was, I guess, the the biggest thing you had to set out to maybe understand about yourself? And I guess shame would be the biggest thing that you were needed to um, address? And does Brene Brown come to play in any of this?
2: Oh, always. She's always so
1: helpful. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I, there's a part of me that felt very fortunate to have
2: all the time that we had during COVID to really, I did some deep dives and you know, the, Self love def- deficit disorder definitely was a big problem of mine. Um, it's still a work in progress, but um, it's, it's, you know, I have done all the right therapy um, and a lot of it in the last couple of years and surrounded myself with not a lot, but really, really, really high quality people who share my values and um i think really for the first time in my life i feel like i deserve to have those people in my life that hold my heart dear and and will cherish it um i don't think i ever deserved that felt like i deserved that in the past um which is which is great i mean it blows my mind that that is true. I mean, that is true for me, but I really don't feel like I deserve that yet. Like how the hell do you get through med school? <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that, that really makes sense. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I've got a long ways to go. I still get triggered. I still get, uh, I still get afraid. I feel a lot of fear around this. I feel a lot of fear around potential retaliation. Um, for both Laverne and myself and our kids, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I am
1: afraid.
0: And if you have any words of wisdom for everyone out there listening, what would they be?
2: Um, find a support group. If you don't have anyone that you feel like you can talk to about this, because there's support groups out there and There is nothing more important than feeling believed. Um, There is nothing more painful than being labeled as crazy, which often happens in these situations. Um, So, if you're struggling, if you're alone, if you're feeling like you're alone, it really just takes one person to talk to or to, you know, a Facebook group. Reading the stories of other people is often the way to start um, as a way to really validate that your experience did actually happen, which often we deny. Um, and and really take some time to sit alone with yourself. Um, that's something I used to never do, and it's been one of the most important practices for me in the last couple of years.
0: Well, Shirley, I really want to thank you for being here with me and sharing your story with everyone out there. Laverne, I want to thank you as well for being here. Both of you were listening to each other's stories and supporting each other throughout this whole entire thing. I know this was difficult to do and I just really want to Thank you because you just didn't educate people. You validated a lot of people's experiences today, and you really did a uh, fantastic job. So, a really big uh, thank you for me and everyone in our community.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Really. Thank
0: you. And now, if you want to be a guest on our show like Laverne and Shirley were today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our, our web page. there. It takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions and then either fill out the submit form or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, press the support group button at the top of the page, and it takes you to our very own safe social network. On there, we have our our own forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group. It helps us out a lot. And uh, if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are struggling and need help, DomesticShelters.org has articles and resources that are free. They can f- help you find shelters as well. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And that is it for today's show. So I just want to thank you uh, for listening. Thank you to Laverne and Shirley once again. And from myself and Laverne and Shirley, we hope you have a good night.